Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. What about the other kind of listeners, like the robo-listeners and the uh, alien listeners and the and the dog and cat listeners? I refuse to acknowledge any listeners that aren't human for the purposes of this particular podcast. Well, I will greet them for you. Hello to everybody. Ben and I are automotive journalists. We love to write and talk about cars, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. Isn't that right, Ben? That is correct. We uh, we had a, an action-packed week uh, where we at, we're both uh, together, which is unusual. Uh, we headed to Calgary, Alberta, which is in Canada, near the Rocky Mountains, to drive the 2017 Buick Envision. Um, the Envision is an interesting car for a couple of reasons. First, it's the uh, the only midsize uh, SUV you can get from Buick right now. But more importantly, it's built in China. And it was conceived for the Chinese market. And they're kind of bringing it over here as a, hey, let's see what happens. And that's a, that's a new thing for GM. I mean, GM's been building cars uh, in, in China before, I believe. Um, it's The vision is certainly not the uh, – or maybe not. Maybe the other car companies have taken the Chinese plunge first. Can, do you know for sure, Sammy? Uh, sorry. we I know for a fact that uh, Honda has sold a Chinese-built Honda Fit in – Canada. That's correct. Uh, and I believe Volvo is the next one to bring uh, a, a car to North America, which will be the S60L, I believe. Okay, but so it the, is, it I is think the, the first Vision is the first, yeah, American automaker who has manufactured the car in China and brought it over to North America. So in my mind, uh, to be perfectly honest, that means absolutely nothing to me. Um, I, I want to agree. I, you know what? I agree with you 100%. GM has done this before. I mean, the Spark is made in Korea. And it's an uh, excellent and, vehicle. And they've got other cars built all over the world. What makes China such a, a standout in terms of uh, this this discussion? So I think it's, it's a moot point. But we... You know, there's some things everyone wants to talk about when it comes to quality of cars and when they're not built in um, sort of places that you recognize as being known for quality. Yeah, to um, me, it, it kind of plays on the same sort of I, – I don't know if I would call it automotive bigotry. But remember when Volkswagen first started building cars in Mexico and people freaked out about that and they're like, oh, where was your, your Volkswagen built? Was it built in Germany or was it built in Mexico? And, and it was it became a big deal. And I think we're really past that globally when it comes to quality. I think it's very hard to pin poor quality on a specific geographic location. And uh, I think that the globally distributed uh, product pipeline has kind of proven that. I think quality is a mindset of the automaker and not the location it's built. But, you know, some people might have different opinions on that. Fair enough. But anyway, we mentioned it. It's built in China. GM has been mentioning it. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting to me. The, the more interesting part of the Envision being Chinese is that Buick has done so well in the Chinese market as a luxury brand. And this is kind of one of the first instances where General Motors has said, you know what? Um, Buick is honestly still alive because it after the post-bankruptcy reorganization because of how well it does in China. How about we serve that market and then see how the products we're building for that market work over here? You know, it's funny. It's really interesting how popular these Buicks are in China. They're even more popular than Cadillacs. And that kind of irks um, the, the hierarchy that really messes up the hierarchy of GM products. Well, I, I'm, you know, it certainly does, but it's good for us, for the consumer. Uh, a hierarchy of products is really, that's the corporate 
corporate side is concerned. For us, we want competition. We want the guys at Buick to be looking over their shoulder and the guys at Cadillac to be looking over their shoulder and saying, how can we outdo each other? And that's how we get better cars. So, uh, if, okay, if, then let's then let's move on straight to this Buick Envision. Is it a good car? I mean, this is the most important thing that we can say about it. It fits a very interesting slot in the Buick lineup, right between the tiny Encore, the subcompact Encore, and the three-row Enclave. And the yes. Buick fits right in the middle of those two cars. I wouldn't call it quite a compact, but I don't think it's as big as a midsize. No, it's it's they're positioning it as a compact. I know I said midsize earlier because in my mind, um, it's kind of like an RX. Uh, mm-hmm. Lexus RX in terms of size, maybe somewhat smaller, maybe more like what the, I think you said uh, it reminded you of the original RX when mm-hmm. we were driving it. And I think that's, that's a pretty accurate encapsulation of its size. If, if you think about it too, the cargo space is not huge. You're looking at, I think, less than 60 cubic feet, which is kind of what you would get from a Golf, uh, Golf hatchback, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe that's around 50. There's, there's not a huge Golf, uh, <laughs> there's not a huge gap between those vehicles. It's not like um, you're getting, if you were to buy a Subaru um, Forester, for example, you get 70 cubic feet of space. That's quite a bit. Uh, and the Envision is not quite there, even though physically it's rough, it's the same size. So um, other than that though, you said, is it a good car? In driving it, yes. Uh, it has a great power from the turbocharged four-cylinder engine that we drove. It's a 260, 252 horsepower, I believe, and 260 pound-feet of torque. Um, all-wheel drive is standard in Canada on that model. And uh, it's, the only, it's the only way you can get it in Canada. You can only get it with all-wheel drive. There's no two-and-a-half-liter uh, front-wheel drive version? No, there isn't. Well, I might have to rewrite one of my reviews then. Okay. I'm sorry to stun you right now. But um, you know what? You, you mentioned – sorry. Let, let's talk about this car. Uh, and, and you mentioned the cargo space being a major point of, uh, of criticism. Well, not necessarily but criticism, but it's a factor. The rear seats, however – are really spacious. Yeah, there's a lot of room. I mean, it, it's it, it depends. SUVs are always compromises, and it depends right. what you want to get out of it, right? Do you want a bigger back seat? Do you want more cargo space? Do you do you want to be able to go off road? Do you want to just deal with the snow when it comes? You know, it's, these are choices you've got to make when you're buying these cars. And I think the Envision. Uh, I mean, if you're a small family, it's a decent amount of room. And the thing too is with the seats up, I think it's 23 cubes, which is really good. Um, that's that's a decent amount of room. It's just the total amount of space isn't great. So if you're packed with family anyway, if you've got four people in it, you're not going to be putting the seats down. So the, the seats up number is the more important number. And, and I found it to be, I found it to be very comfortable even for, for my size and my height uh, in the back seats and those back seats recline, which is really interesting. But um, for those of you who haven't seen Sammy, he's seven feet tall, and 350 pounds of muscle. So when he says my size, my height, I mean, you I, better, you better listen. I think you're exaggerating a little bit. Uh, I'm about six feet and, on definitely under 200 pounds. Oh, now um, who's bragging? But, Humble brag from Sammy Hajisad. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? Uh, the, in, the, the, the front seats, however, is a different story. I was not as enthusiastic about the front seats, and that's mainly because of the, the interior design and layout of the car. I don't think it was uh, – it's up to the standard of playing in the premium or even luxury segment. Really? What, what did you not like about the layout? I mean, I found that the the button placements were very strange and cramped. It felt like there was a lot of uh, negative space, a lot of like uh, black plastic. Um, you know, you mean wood grain plastic? 
Uh, yeah, and, and even around the infotainment system or HVAC, there's just weird placement. There's just like, it feels like all of the buttons were cramped to fill this small space, but there's actually a large space around it. There's all this like weird plastic border around everything. And My, then there's this, the size of these weird buttons that are to the right of the infotainment screen underneath the uh, the uh, analog clock. The analog clock is tiny. The clock uh, kind of felt like a, just it was added on. It, it's very unusually placed <laughs> and it's very tiny. I agree. And then there's these giant buttons that are about the size of that clock just placed underneath them. And I don't think they're completely necessary. They're like they're like the uh, adaptive cruise control. I mean, sorry, the lane keep assist and the uh, parking sensor buttons, which I don't know how often you're you're clicking those on and off. But No, I, I you know, I liked I found the layout to be fine, but I agree with you about the buttons. I thought they were very part spinny. Uh, the HVAC stuff, especially, uh, and that was that was my biggest criticism of the vehicle. The other thing too is you can get a two and a half liter four cylinder in this car um, that doesn't have a turbo, mm-hmm. and I would not want to drive that version. Now I I can tell you why you don't. I can tell you why I think you don't want to drive that version um, for a couple of reasons. The engine, first of all, is is um, not that powerful. It's about 200 horsepower. Yeah, it's actually less. I think it's 192 or something like that. Oh, dear. Okay. So this is, so this is the same one you would find in a, a Malibu? Would a, is a Malibu still offered with a 2.5? That's a good question. I, I haven't driven the Malibu in, I, in I quite know a while. The, I know that the ATS definitely had one of these engines yes. um, in the past. Uh, it was a base engine. It's more like for rental fleets or something like that. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the engine. It's just when you, when you pair it with something large and heavy, um, like a crossover or an SUV of this size... Uh, and then you fill that crossover with people, you start to realize that you should have bought the turbo. And the other thing with the turbo too is it moves torque down low so that it's accessible right off the line. And that's when people, that's what most people, uh, that's how most people drive. I mean, no one's really driving flat out all the time, uh, like Sammy does. So it's, it's necessary to, to consider how the power gets to the ground and how you access it. And with a small displacement four cylinder, like a two and a half, you're, you're probably going to have to rev it really hard. The other thing that I found uh, about the turbo versus the non-turbo motor is that the turbo motor comes with a different suspension setup and a different all-wheel drivetrain. Yeah, you get the the hyper shocks, which are uh, – I know it sounds like I'm saying hyper, but it's uh, H-I and then capital P-E-R. Um, these have been available from Buick for quite a while. The, the LaCrosse uses them. The Regal uses them. The, the, the high-performance versions of, the, of those cars. And they they lower they reduce torque steer. They do a pretty good job at it. But this is the first time you can get it in an SUV. And uh, I didn't notice any torque steer from the vehicle at all. Um, I didn't really hammer it hard off the line, but I did drive it very much too fast uh, on the highway because it was very easy to suddenly be going over the speed limit and not really realize you were doing it because the car is very smooth and stable. Very smooth, stable, and I would say quiet. I don't think the the engine felt like it was working really hard. And I know that's because um, I mean it's a turbo. And the other, I think the other reason is it has very good noise, active noise cancellation. Yeah, and uh, like you were saying, in addition to the suspension, you get the the special all-wheel drive system, which does torque vectoring uh, side to side in the front and then uh, front to rear. Uh, no side to side in the rear as well. So I believe that it has it's it's a similar setup as the um, Focus RS, the Cadillac XT5. This is the G the GKN, and I believe some Land Rover uh, products use it as well. So it, that's really interesting to find in a, in a Buick of all things. I mean, you hear some some things like uh, Cadillac and uh, Focus RS. You're thinking of something with a little bit more of a sporty pedigree um, uh, or a performance pedigree. And uh, now to find it in a Buick as well, I think that's a really interesting uh, change of direction. 
Oh, it definitely is. Um, but if you've been paying attention to the Buick lineup, the Regal GS is a great car to drive. Uh, and the lacrosse is pretty decent to drive too. It's, it's just that they don't have that reputation. Like you said, it's not, you, you kind of have to ask the questions to find out which Buick is the one that's, you know, fun. <laughs> they don't, you don't just deep by default know that, uh, oh yeah, Buick's going to be a sporty ride. They don't have that cachet. Right. Uh, and, and you mentioned the lacrosse, uh, before, and, and you mentioned just again, the lacrosse is the problem that I have with the interior of the envision. With the uh, with the interior of the Envision, uh, the Lacrosse has a really nice cabin. It and does. I didn't find it here in in the Envision. I thought they were setting a standard with the Envision uh, with the Lacrosse, and I didn't find it in the Envision. So that's my criticism. But you you know the Envision is nicer inside than the Encore. Okay. And I mean, and that, if that's, that's your progression, that's if that's true. how you're looking at it, you know, like subcompact to quote unquote compact to full size Enclave. Uh, the Lacrosse is also the flagship Buick, right? So, of course, it's going to have the nicest interior. Um, I don't know if that's really going to drop down to the Envision right away or if the the Envision's interior more reflects what the Chinese market is looking for in a car. Um, that might be where we're starting to see that influence. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the handling of the Envision because I don't think that's a I don't think that's a really important part of the car. I will say that it it was wonderful on the roads that we drove, mostly straight roads, highway roads, limited traffic, um, very comfortable, very smooth, uh, and easy to to live with. I can see this being a really good um, family car, a grocery getter, a, a, a commuter. Yeah, that's entirely what it is. I mean, that's what all SUVs should be, to be honest. The very, very few performance SUVs are actually engaging to drive. And there's no real point in pursuing uh, – I mean, I don't personally feel there's a point in pursuing that um, demographic. And if, if you want to drive a fun and engaging car, you're probably buying a car, not an SUV. Uh, there are exceptions to that rule, obviously. And I think at the price point that the Vision is, which is uh, – it starts at under 40 and um, I think it goes up to almost 50 uh, uh, yeah, it starts in the U.S. because you can get with the front-wheel drive 2.5. It it starts at at 35. Uh, in Canada, it starts 39, at 39, I think. Uh, yeah, before before freight and all that, all those taxes. Uh, so in Canada, it starts at at around 40 because of um, because it comes with all-wheel drive. And yeah. then loaded, it comes to nearly 50 U.S. and 54 Canadian. Which is a lot of money, man. It is. I mean, and the loaded cars are the best cars to get from the Buick too, because you're able to gloss over a lot of the interior stuff that we talked about, but with the fact that it has a lot of uh, gear mm -hmm. to go with it, uh, and so, not bad gear either. I mean, no, it's uh, good. Very, very yeah. well equipped. You can get cool safety gear. You can get cool connectivity stuff. I mean, GM knows what it's doing uh, in the, in those areas. But and, the, good you got, and good convenience stuff. I mean, heated and vented seats and, uh, and three way, three zone climate control. And yeah, uh, you just have to be comfortable with paying a lot of money for that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, it's still less than a comparably equipped, uh, European SUV of the same size. So there's that to take into account too, but are they really, you know, I don't really see Buick going after Audi and BMW, maybe a little bit Audi, but I think this is mostly a Lexus Acura competitor and mm -hmm. probably an XT5 competitor, probably taking some buyers away from Cadillac too. So that's, that's crazy. Um, I do find the Lexus products to be a little bit more, um, interesting. I think they look really funky and, um, the interior design of the Lexus has gone, is all over the place, but um, I think they drive great, and I think they're really good value. But if you're not into the design of of a Lexus, 
in the same class as Envision, then I would I would point you in the direction of the Buick. And we, we had something weird happen to us too while we were driving in Alberta. So I don't know how many people are familiar with Alberta, but it's one of Canada's prairie provinces, which means a lot of farmland, a lot of ranch stuff. It's at the foot, foot of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, we were probably... I don't know, 50 miles away from the, the start of the Rockies, the beginning of the real foothills. But um, we were cruising and in, in the constant quest to take amazing photos of the cars that we drive, we ended up in a, in a pasture and Sammy got nervous because it was a sign for a natural gas pipeline and he made some joke about how, you know, we're probably going to see some blown up house around the Whoa. corner or we're going to blow up. And, and then we went up this hill and we found a blown up house. It was, it was right there. Just It was like uh, from Wizard of Oz, someone had just dropped a house on the witch. But instead of dropping it on the witch in this case, what did what did, what did did it get dropped on, Sammy? I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> quite understand what I was looking at. It was, uh, it was a cow, um, a, like the skin of a... Uh, of a cow, half, half of it, and then we found the other half uh, a little, a little distance away from the from the first piece we saw, and we saw a piece of the, a bunch of bones as well. It was very eerie. There was a spine. It was just oh. hanging in the rubble. It was, it was a uh, viscera and awful everywhere. It was, it was very strange. So uh, sorry for the more sensitive listeners, but that was an unusual experience. But I will say this: we got some really great photos up there, and I ended mm-hmm. up, I ended up very happy with with what came out of that. <laughs> horrific encounter uh, i actually got some i actually already got some comments on the photos saying that they're really cool um but the lighting in in this whole shooting this car was was so so bizarre i mean this was midday maybe two or three o'clock and we seemed to be running out of daylight which was so strange yeah it's almost like a dark force was guiding us towards the pile of bodies i mean i wanted to i wanted to suggest that maybe we were seeing how good the off-roading uh section uh, i mean capabilities of the car were um while going up that hill and finding this place, but uh, and, and hey, it did handle itself pretty decently. Yeah, no problems, no complaints. But and again, uh, so did the lacrosse that followed us. Up that's true. We were the chase car that that also saw what we saw. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that was that was it was crazy, man. It, it absolutely looks it absolutely looks like something out of a, a movie. Like I kept calling it like True Detective season three. That's what they're gonna film it out there. <laughs> it really did have a True Detective feel. I mean, especially when you picked up those antlers from off the ground and put them on your head and, and asked me to call you the Yellow King. Uh, yeah, I mean that was a that was. That was when uh, I was less concerned about, you know, disease and maggots and stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, other than the Envision, what what else have you been driving recently? I haven't been driving anything this week. Uh, I think the Envision uh, was the only car I had the chance to drive. Um, so does that or, mean you, you've been driving your FRS around? Yes, I have, and uh, it's plenty of fun. But uh, the temperatures are dropping. It's time to put the winter tires on. So that's why I have it uh, with me this week. Okay, okay. Um but I've just been uh, getting ready for the uh, LA Auto Show next week. Um, and what about you? What have you been driving this week? This week I drove two vehicles. I had the the Mazda 3 again, um, which I kept from last week. And then I traded that in on Wednesday for the uh, Hyundai Sonata PHEV, the plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And I have to say I'm extremely impressed with the car. Um, it's uh, So I don't have a... A dedicated, you know, hybrid charging station in my house. I have to use a standard wall outlet, and the battery that's in the PHEV version of the Sonata gives you about forty kilometers. So I guess that's like well, twenty-eight, twenty-six miles um, of driving before you have to recharge it. I don't think I've had the engine on for more than a minute in the last three days, and I've just been driving it normally too. I haven't really been babying it like 
I'm, I'm not hypermiler or anything. The electric motor is really, really good. And it's been chilly too. Uh, up here in Montreal. So I've had the heated seats on, I've had the heated steering wheel on, I've had the the HVAC on. It's in economy mode, but I'm not ch- freezing myself to death in the car. And it just refuses to turn on the gas motor. And uh, even on the highway, I'm, I'm doing good acceleration um, just on the battery uh, electric motor alone. So well done, Hyundai. I'm I'm liking and the the Sonata is a great midsize sedan. The back seat is huge. It's comfortable to drive. You get all sorts of gear. Uh, the the plug-in is expensive. I don't know exactly how expensive, but I do recall it being much more than the regular version of the car. Am am I correct on that, Sam? Yeah, the uh, the plug-in starts uh, in the U.S. at thirty five grand and in the Canada at forty five grand. Actually, and and really what's uh, what's the next step down the regular? Uh, I guess Hyundai. you would have to go for a Hyundai uh, Hyundai. Sonata Sport, um, and those that they shouldn't crack that they shouldn't crack thirty grand. Yeah, so I mean that's a bit of a difference. It's not a huge difference, but it's definitely a difference. But I mean, it, but I, I cons- I've been in this car, and I I totally agree with you. It's as if the hybrid engine just doesn't the hybrid powertrain just doesn't want to deal with the the uh, the <laughs> gas motor. It's just like no, we've got this. The electric motor can handle this. No, it's and, it's. It's true. And you know what's most surprising is uh, the previous generation Hyundai Sonata hybrid was not great. (laughs) It was not pleasant to drive. Switching back and forth between the gasoline and the electric systems was jerky and just unpleasant at all times. And fuel mileage wasn't that great either in the real world. And then, you know, this is the next generation car and wow, it's just that much better. Yeah, it's 100% refined. You hit it right on the on the head with that. Uh, the, and it's still weird because this car uses a six-speed auto instead of, you know, the CVT that the Fusion Energy uses and the um, and well, pretty, plug-in. Pretty, yeah, pretty much any other um, uh, plug-in hybrid uses a CVT. Um, the total range is, is 600 miles, which is pretty impressive. And I believe it too. Uh, it's, you know, if you were commuting to work back and forth, you could conceivably not use any gas if you lived relatively close to work. I mean, and by relatively close, I mean, do you have a 30, 25, 30 mile round trip for work? I think that describes a lot of people. And uh, you, you have a very comfortable car then on the weekend when you want to go somewhere farther. I mean, this is, it's not like the Volt, um, which is, I think, more aggressively electric, mm-hmm. but it, it certainly does feel like it out on the road just in terms of how willing it is to stay in battery mode. It's kind of weird because Hyundai isn't pushing this car as a Volt competitor, but wow. I mean, it might not have 50 miles of battery, but it's got a hell of a lot of usable usable battery range. The only thing that I have against the, the Sonata plug-in hybrid is uh, cargo capacity, which yes. is, I think ju- is under 10 cubic feet. But – and um, I ran into this today. I had to go to the the shop and pick up my old radiator from my Datsun and I was like, oh, I'll just put it in the trunk. And then I popped the trunk and it was like – it was like I had half a trunk. Yeah. It's 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 not very pleasant. That's not a great, uh, a great feature of the car at all. But the radiator fit and okay. it fit inside a box with all the padding and whatnot. So I was able to do it um, and I didn't cramp my style. So <laughs> – yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you all you have to do is carry radiators around, Sonata is your car. Have you had any issues with the time it takes to charge it with your on, on your standard level one, whatever you however you want to call it, level one charging? No, not not at all. Um, Every time I, you've plugged it in at night, you've gotten it in the morning the next day. Yes, it's always been full, uh, and I've even had it top up smaller charges over uh, shorter periods of time. It's it's pretty good. 
And I'm doing it through an extension cord too, which you should never do. Um, <laughs> because to the extension <laughs> cords, you're, you're living the, the exciting life. Huh? I am the dangerous hybrid EV life, but, uh, yeah, so that that's that's the Sonata PHEV. Uh, I'm looking forward to writing about it uh, next week and uh, just enjoying it. But I, you know, I'm getting ready for LA too. I'm I'm headed there as a guest of uh, Ford because they're bringing out what are they bringing out, Sammy? I don't want to say because I don't want to break embargo. But uh, you said the embargo has already been broken. Oh yes, uh, thanks to Snapchat and DJ Khalid. Um, <laughs> Who has revealed that he's he's going to be show he's going to be in LA next week to show off the new Ford uh, EcoSport or EcoSport, however you want to pronounce it, which is a subcompact crossover that pretty much looks like a like a a, a mix between a Trax and a Rav4, an old Rav4. So it's kind of like a lifted Fiesta. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's the best way to describe it uh, in terms of what it really is. So is there a, let, let, let's like, here's a question: Is there a market for this car? I. I guess so. I mean, automakers are really going nuts now for the subcompact um, genre here or the class. Toyota's showing off the its CHR, which used to be a Scion and is now going to be a Toyota uh, as well at the LA Auto Show. R.I.P. Scion. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Trax was, was around for a long time, the Juke before it, but the Juke was always a little bit more quirky um, of a subcompact crossover. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And we and, have the, the Renegade, too, from Jeep. And then we got the Fiat 500X, the Honda HRV, and the Mazda uh, CX-3. Oh, not to mention the the Mitsubishi RVR or Outlander Sport, depending on where you're from. So yeah, you have adequately demonstrated that yes, there is a market for this vehicle. Um, and people you, are going nuts for for crossovers. So, so do you think people are gonna are gonna upgrade from a Fiesta to the EcoSport, or do you think they're gonna they're gonna instead of buying a, a Focus, they're gonna buy the EcoSport instead? Here in Canada, I see a huge market for these subcompact crossovers because I can't get uh, a car like the Mazda 3, the Mazda 3 without all wheel drive. Uh, in order for me to get, get that, I have to get either a CX-5 or a CX-3, which have all wheel drive. Same with the Fit, which can, which doesn't have all wheel drive. And I love all wheel drive in the snow. Um, but I mean, all wheel drive is, it's marketing. It is, you know, I, I agree with that. I think snow tires make a bigger difference than all wheel drive. But for some people that just love that confidence. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and now that you can't buy a Toyota Matrix anymore, you're, or a Suzuki SX4, you're kind of out of luck if you're looking for a small all-wheel drive vehicle. I accept, 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 accept the uh, Subaru Impreza. Subaru Impreza, which I yes. drove, which I actually drove uh, really recently, the 2017 model, which, despite the way it looks, is a brand new generation of car. Did we talk about this a little bit on the last podcast? I can't remember. I really wanted to, but I think you have this. You have this. This thing against uh, Subaru Impreza's where you just yawn and blank out. Whoa, uh, no, that's not true at all. I, in fact, <laughs> in fact, I currently own a Subaru product, but not an Impreza. No, but an I, old I, one. <laughs> I have. Well, all right, fine. Uh, okay, let's. Can we? Can we just? I, I need to frame up this conversation about the Impreza. Okay. Okay. What do you think? You need to be honest with me. What did you think of the last generation Impreza? It was fine, but underpowered. What about the interior? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. Okay, but and that's it's, always it's, been that's always been a problem with. But, with but here's the thing: right? I mean, it, it's more noticeable now because other car companies are doing great things with small cars. Like the okay. Civic interior is, is really cool. Um, well, the the Elantra interior is really cool. And then you get into the Impreza, and you're like, this is fine, but I wish it was better. 
okay, well, Subaru has finally listened or taken note of what their competitors are doing, and they have a really wicked interior for their car. And I was really impressed with it. The uh, interior displays, the the, the 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 one in front, the gauge in front of the gauge cluster or in the gauge cluster is gorgeous, nice and high resolution, really just like detailed. And then they have that two center screen display, one above the, the dash and one in the middle of the dash uh, as well. Really nice, useful stuff there. Um, it also comes with Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, so they're really, they're really going, uh, getting aggressive with their uh, interior. I also found like button layout was improved. One of the weird things that uh, I noticed about the old Impreza is where they would put this, the the, but, the switches for uh, heated seats. It used to be under the armrest, so it was really like weird. <laughs> um, and now they moved it up, so now you can actually see it and use it while driving without getting into an accident. So, uh, so um, how much horsepower is the car making? So it's been upgraded by four horsepower. Oh my goodness! To 152. <sighs> See, this uh, is this is the problem I have: is that the car. I mean, it's not horribly slow, but because they have all-wheel drive as standard equipment, uh, Subaru has really had to work to overcome that weight and that complexity in terms of uh, parasitic loss in the drivetrain to come up with engine solutions that are competitive. And, and you know, the last car was competitive, certainly, um, in terms of miles per gallon. But they did that by keeping the engine output modest. And I see, I see that that is still the strategy. Definitely still the case. But uh, Subaru has one of the best CVTs I think you can get. It's a very uh, responsive CVT. Um, it's eager to change ratios. Uh, so whenever you're asking for acceleration, you, you get it. Um, and I, but I, but I do agree with you. The engine output, the the when you're trying to make a pass, the engine can only do so much. The transmission can only do so much before with what it's given. Um, well, you know, here in Canada, Subaru, especially in Quebec, Subaru has a cult following. Very popular cars. I understand why. Like I said, I own one myself. Um, they're reliable. They're tank-like in a lot of ways. And uh, I don't need a super fast Impreza because that's what the WRX is for. So we're going to be getting a new WRX on this platform, I assume, in the near future. Yeah, and that'll this is be a whole new platform, which is the bigger deal. This is going to underpin a whole, uh, the whole Subaru lineup, uh, as far as I, I believe. Um, and not only that, these, it's now going to be made in the US of A. Okay. That's okay. a pretty big deal. I guess so. Kind of what we were saying before, though. Does it really matter where a vehicle is made? I mean, not to me. But don't you want to root for, you know, local jobs in some way or another? Local? What is that? Local jobs? <laughs> well, not here in Canada, I, I, but in, in the United States. I have no stake in local jobs. No, I, I think I, I'm, I, I don't know. No, I don't. That's not how it, when I look at a car, I do not think of where it's built in terms of jobs. I don't think of that. I know there are people who do and that's, that's cool. I don't have any problem with that, but that's not what I think of when I look at a car. Okay. Well, I do think that some people take that into, into consideration. Well, especially, yeah, especially if you're, you know, you work for the UAW. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and then the, the new platform is, is really, um, is really responsive. It's stiffer um, as than before. And the car was never a bad performing, performing car. In terms of no, it was, it was fine to drive. It was but fine. now it's, it's responsive. Very, very easy to drive. Very fun to drive. Uh, I, and it's still available with um, four, a four-door or five-door model. Okay. And uh, five-speed manual still offered as well. Uh, in addition to the CVT, I kind of want to. I kind of want to shift things a little bit. Um, earlier today, you sent me a press release. Oh yeah, from Audi, um, and 
It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So I was wondering, could you read me the title of the press release? Yeah, of course. Audi production in in <laughs> Audi production in <laughs> Munchmunster <laughs> in full swing. Now I'm sure I'm I'm murdering that name of this city in Germany here, but uh, the way it's the way it's written is Munchmunster, and I think that's the funniest thing I've ever read. I can't even get through it without laughing my butt off. So we uh, both we both enjoy Audi products uh, and Audi vehicles. And uh, what we've noticed about Audi over the years, especially recently, is a lot of interesting tech stuff that they're doing. Um, we've seen a, a, a robotic gecko, a space yeah. gecko. Uh, the, we've the quattro ge- the qua- the quattro gecko. Yeah, we've seen a mission to Mars. Uh, mission to the moon, I think. Mission first. to the moon. Sorry, yeah. mission to the moon. Baby steps, right? Not yeah. not Mars right away. And but, now and they did make a, they made a rover, man. They like they made a ro- like this is what they're doing. They're exactly. Making- so Audi's reaching outside of you know the traditional car thing to kind of and talk about traditional you know planet. Yes, to 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 get people interested in in what they're doing technologically, and so this this press release it's not really you know it's not going to lead the, the your nightly news. It's mostly about what they're building in in where where is it again, Sammy? In Munchmunster? Yeah, in, in Munchmunster. Munch, Munchmunster? But the best part of this, there's two amazing things in this this press release. Um, okay, yeah. There's the Competence Center for yeah, high tech. Yeah, for high tech. That's that's what. Exactly, that's what Munchmunster is. It's a Competence Center. Mm-hmm. I think all all buildings should be called Competence Center, personally. So, except but, for the one that made that diesel uh, that diesel cheat device. <laughs> wow, you had to go there. Yes, of course I, I can't. I can't ignore it. Okay, and so my, uh, my 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 real favorite part that was right at the end. So it's talking about the plant and everything, and then at the end, it says <laughs> the factory halls are surrounded by fruit trees and wildflower meadows. That sounds very pleasant. Audi is furthermore hosting a world first research station in Munchmunster in the shape of the Smart Hobos High Tech Beehive. <laughs> <laughs> this this forms part of the Honeybee Online Studies Project. That's all in quotations. And I will tell you that H O B and O and S in Honeybee Online Studies are capitalized. That's where you get hobos. Oh, um, and this is represented by its environmental foundation, Audi Stiftung für Umwelt GmbH. I'm not saying that right, but <laughs> seeks to protect honeybee colonies in cooperation with the Julius Maximilian University of Würzburg. That's very admirable. I am a friend to bees, and bees are getting a bad, a bad go of things right now all around the world. Bee populations are dying. This is just amazing, though. It has nothing to do with anything else in the press release. Smart hobos, high tech beehive. I don't smart. think anyone why knows. They call it, why did they call it the smart hobos? That's such a strange choice of. Uh, that's such a strange acronym to use. It's really strange. Uh, and and it the high tech beehive. That's also a really great. I, I mean, how high tech can a beehive? Like be and well, and does everyone who works at this competence center get free honey? <laughs> I would hope so, and I'm disappointed that the press release does not go farther into the world of the smart hobos because it just drops that there in your lap, and it's like, yeah, that's awesome. Moving on, <laughs> you know, it's kind it should have led with the smart hobos. In fact, I, I haven't heard of smart hobos at all. How long has smart hobos been going on? I'm, I'm doing some research right now, and it turns out it looks like since August, April 26th of this year. There is a robotic oh. arm inside the high-tech beehive with a state-of-the-art camera and 3D sensors. So it records the bees and their activities. I'm, I'm reading this right now. It's a completely new approach to the research and the behavior of honeybees. Well, good on Audi because when 
Because soon honeybees are going to be buying cars, I think. I think bees are eventually going to become smart enough. And with their bee, with their honey-based economy, they're going to start buying cars and they're going to need high-class vehicles. And I think Audi will, be, will, will definitely offer them something. And they know their demographic now inside and out. So there's an amazing picture of a, <laughs> of a beehive, kind of like a whole bunch of what looks like wax. And then there's a robotic arm and there's a laser coming out of the arm. And the laser <laughs> is just scanning. I, I assume it's scanning the beehive. I'm going to send you this picture right now so you can look at it in all of its majesty. And um, it's – it's, there's little bees flying in and out of the hive that are superimposed, and then there's like a honey matrix just to the right. And this is not an Audi page. This Whoa. is what's <laughs> happening in here. This is this hobos. If you want to see this for yourself, go to hobos.de. <laughs> hobos.de. Where there's a link that's called "What's About Hobos." <laughs> It's this amazing. So this is obviously created in Photoshop and I'm glad that somebody did it um, <laughs> because, wow, it's uh, – the future of bee laser technology has never been more accurately represented than it has on this webpage. But this yeah. Makes, every time I get one of these releases from Audi where they just throw something in just to see if anyone's – I think it's just to see if anyone's reading their press releases because sometimes their press releases are really long and dry. And they just throw this extra, you know, the Quattro Gecko or the Mission to the Moon. And it's true. Go, the, I mean, the first, the first time we saw Mission to the Moon was at CES last year. And they just put it up on the screen for like less than a second and during the introduction. The to, and then they put Mission to the Moon and we're like, what? Excuse? What? Hold yeah, on. They, and they didn't – never referenced it again throughout the – they, they just proceeded into 3D gest, gesture control and we're like, wait, no. You know what's more interesting? Going to the moon with, with an Audi. And or smart hobos. I mean, I'm all for it. It's 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 a cool project. And uh, I, anything. The, while we're on the subject, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just, I agree. I'm, with I'm, you. I'm used smart to smart hobos. Is 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 unbelievable. But while we're on the subject of uh, German uh, technology and and the, that that time we actually saw this mission to the moon and and smart gecko and looked at each other like, excuse me, what? And they show and proceed to show us 3D gesture control. 3D gesture control is actually coming to cars and not just like expensive cars. Volkswagen just showed off a new Golf with gesture control in it. Um, and that's that's coming. Like that's like right – that's available in Europe first and will be available real soon. And then it will be coming stateside real soon too. And it's ludicrous. No one needs it. It's completely unnecessary. I mean I don't know why I need to wave my hands around um, to to do this. I mean we've got we've – got, really good controls in cars and, and that's what ergonomics are for. Yeah, I'd be happy with buttons that are that work properly. You know, I so uh, this earlier this year I had a uh, a 7 series BMW which has gesture control. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was rocking out to my tunes. I was cruising down to the New York Auto Show on the highway and music was awesome and I was pumping my fist and it turns out that the control to mute the audio is exactly the same movement you would do when you're really into the audio. So I was like boosting my fist over the center console and it just cut the music and i was like what the hell's going on and like i did it again and it came back on and then again it was off and i was so, so you mad. had your own little like you had your own little like audio rave going it was on it was terrible i mean it's 
I don't need that. There's a mute button. There's a volume control. I know where they are. I don't need something watching my every movement. I mean, and also, in what universe is it easier to wave your hand around than to touch a button? I mean, we're not living in the world of Minority Report where Tom Cruise has to have amazing upper body strength simply to use what looks like a desktop computer. <laughs> Do we really want to introduce that into automobiles? Do we really need to overly complicate our interfaces? I don't think so. I I'm just tired of it. There's only one application of 3D gesture control that needs to be standard. It's, uh, you know, when you get cut off and you're just so, you're just, you can't figure it out. You can't hit the, you can't hit the horn in time. You can, but you can raise your finger to, to, to let the guy on the other end know. What do you mean you can't hit the horn in time? It's directly you in just, front of you. No, just, <laughs> you just want to, you just can't feel it. The gesture control should take your giving the middle finger to somebody and automatically uh, play the horn at the same time. So they get your attention, you get their attention and they're like, oh man, like. This guy, this guy's giving it to me right now. So you're promoting a technology that requires you to take your hands off the steering wheel in an emergency situation to activate the horn? Well, I mean, they're already they're already giving us 3D gesture control anyway. So why not? Why not? You know, when you flip the bird, why not the horn? It, why not make it dangerous? <laughs> I see where you're going with this. <laughs> why are you always? You know what? You're always doing this to me. But I, I, I maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. But maybe you're right. <laughs> Um, but you know what? Uh, I'm also looking forward to next week, which will be the Ellie Auto Show, and I'm going to catch up with you there. I'm going with uh, Mazda, who is expected to show off a brand new um, CX-5, a refreshed the CX-5. Which is funny because we just got a, a mid-model year, mid-year model refresh, the 2016.5 CX-5, right? I actually drove that a couple weeks ago. Of the CX-5, really? Yeah. Along with the Mazda, the, the Mazda three. My, I, yeah, I had I had them back to back. Um, yeah, it's a 2016 and a half. So uh, I just keep trying to think, what do they need to do to a to a CX-5 to make it more competitive? I don't know. It's doing quite well. I mean, it's a great vehicle, and lots of people are buying it. So it's kind of confusing to me as to how they. There's really nothing about it except for the base engine being somewhat weak that they would want to fix. Um, do you think the Do you think the 2.5 is that much better? I think it's a good engine too, but I think I it's a lot better than the base one. Yeah, for sure. There's sure. a new there's a new engine in the Mazda lineup that just gets everyone really excited, and that's the <laughs> that's the turbo, the 2.5 turbo. 2.5 turbo from from the CX9. From the CX9, yeah. So you say it? I know it fits in the uh, CX5. I guess it. Sh you know it fits. Yeah. How do you know? Because I talked to someone who knows that it fits, who okay. works who works at Mazda. Well, that's far more. That's far more interesting. So, I mean, that's, that's far more sterile than I would have. I would have guessed. That would have been what, would, do you think like what I went undercover and like worked at the Mazda plant for six months and then came out with the measurements like like in the Star Wars? Right? I'm like the many Bothans died to bring us these turbocharged measurements. <laughs> <laughs> this turbocharged CX-5. And everyone's like, "Well, we wish we could put it in a Mazda in a Mazda three. But, but you know what's funny though is is, is Mazda is a very a very segmented and insular company when it comes to future product discussion. Like I remember last year I went to Tokyo with Mazda for the unveiling of the uh, RX uh, GT. What was it? No. Vision. The, I'm sorry? Vision. The Vision, yes. Vision uh, RX, right? Which is a cool car. Uh, but oh, we toured, we, so we, toured the, we toured the plant where they're building pretty much everything. <laughs> and uh, they have, a, they have a, a single line multi-model plant. Or I, I don't know if it's single line, but they do build multiple cars on a single line in this plant. And they build the old CX-9 there. And at that point, the old CX-9 was old. I mean, I, I it's a good vehicle to drive at the time. But it was, you know, technology-wise, it wasn't quite 
keeping up anymore. And it was funny because we were talking to them like, hey, is it kind of a challenge for you to build the old CX-9 on a platform that's, you know, 10 years old versus all these new platforms that you've got going on, the CX-5, CX-3, Mazda 3, they're all they're all on the, uh, the new stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Two weeks later in LA, they brought out the new CX-9. Two weeks later, not a single mention of it. The entire week I spent with Mazda at the plant where it was being built, nothing, even when directly talking about the CX-9. And I thought that was hilarious. It's like, that's, that is some good product security. Not, yeah. not, e- not even a whiff of new CX-9, you know, not even like, well, things were tough now, now, but they're going to get better soon. Wink, wink, nothing. <laughs> uh, I get only, uh, I, I've gotten only the, the slightest suggestion that there's going to be something even more interesting at LA from Mazda, but that's all I know. Uh, and I, and you know what my, my true feeling is it's probably going to be the, the SEMA concepts, which are some lightweight, um, MX-5s. Yes. Um, and I think they might make the show as well. So that's that's really cool too. Or maybe we'll get a Mazda Speed 3 because, you know, why not? Well, everyone else is doing everyone else is doing a hot hatch, right? Yes. Well, uh, except for Chevrolet. But no, you, they have performance parts for their crews. You, I mean, you, you, yes. you involved I, with that? Yes. I did drive yeah. them, but it's not a hot hatch. I mean, it's good, but it's not a hot hatch. We, I think we talked a little bit about how okay. Chevy needs to kind of make a, a cruise SS. A cruise RS SS or just no a cruise SS because I mean the RS for Chevrolet at this point it just it's just an appearance package even on the Camaro. Okay, uh, you don't really get anything other than kind of a more aggressive look. And what else, what else do you do you anticipate showing up at the show at the LA Auto Show? To be honest, I'm out of the loop. I've had my nose to the grindstone for the last few weeks so hard that I haven't really taken my eye off of what I what's right in front of me. So it's been okay. tough to kind of know what's coming. Okay, well I'll, I'll talk quickly about uh, what I think is is coming, and that's the. Um, there's going to be a – I think there's going to be a new Lamborghini being shown off at the show. What kind of Lamborghini? Like a new Lamborghini or a variation oh, on what they well, already have? A, a, I think it's going to be a variation on the on the usual Lamborghini, which is – I think it might be a Superleggera, like a really lightweight um, Lambo, which would be really cool. And I think there's definitely been a confirmation about a new Nissan Nismo um, that will that'll show up in <laughs> – well, I, I'm driving one on Tuesday, so um, yeah, okay. uh, there's going to be something. <laughs> so there is a new thing, but it's you don't ne- know what it is? I don't know what it is. It's a Nismo drive, and that's all I know. Okay, what What do you – it's got to be the – it's got to be the Sentra. It has to be the Sentra. I well, mean, I was would, thinking it was going to be the GTR because uh, they might just bring that to have people drive it because not many people have. Oh, but, the, uh, that's a 600 horsepower car now, right? Yeah, something like that. That's um, crazy. So maybe, maybe a Sentra though? I mean right right on the heels of the uh, the SR Turbo? I don't know. I mean it's, I mean I guess, everyone complained about the, the SR Turbo about it not being an old spec V or SER. No, I think I don't think I, mean, I think we were like the, the only French, ones complaining like about the, it. <laughs> no, no, I heard I heard it from a number of people, a number of uh, of other journalists saying, "Yeah, it's a turbo, like, but it's not what you think it is." Well, um, I mean, then, you know, while we're on the subject, Honda, your Honda's coming. Bring, I think Honda's bringing an SI, a Civic SI. So maybe if Mazda has a Mazda Speed Three, that's like peak peak hot hatch at the LA Auto Show. Yeah, well, I welcome it. I, I hope that's what happens. I mean, that would be great to see. Um, and there's also some other cool stuff. LA being a, uh, a very eco-friendly sort of uh, auto show, there's going to be a new Volkswagen e-Golf. I know I was talking, I was blabbing about the, the Golf earlier, uh, but there's going to definitely be a new electric Golf. And I believe Mini should be showing off um, a hybrid as well, a plug-in hybrid. 
What do you think? Is it, does anyone want a plug-in hybrid mini? Is that really? I I wow. I mean, can I be blunt? <laughs> the BMW Group makes a lot of cars that uh, we didn't know people wanted, like the X4 and the X6 and the six series Grand Cabriolet and the five series GT and the three series GT. And the four series Grand Cabriolet, the, front, the Grand Coupe, Grand Coupe. <laughs> Grand, I like sorry, the four series the Grand, Grand Coupe. Coupe. Sorry, I think the four series Grand Coupe is better than the three series. Is that because of the liftgate? Yeah, the liftgate is amazing. You get lots of cargo space. Plus, it looks better. Uh, it just has nicer proportions, and it's as big inside. I mean, so why not? Okay, well, they hit boom. One. They got boom. one out of all of those weird niche vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, different strokes to move the world, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm very I'm very much looking forward to the Eliotta show. Um, it's always one of my favorite uh, shows of the year. Um, it's starting to feel a little bit more significant than Detroit, I think. Um, and there's also this pre-show event called Automobility, where they talk about um, you know a, a lot of automakers are are using this catchphrase: "Oh, we're we're no longer an automaker; we're a mobility company." Um, and this is their opportunity to kind of show off what they're doing. So I believe that BMW will be showing off a ride-sharing program. And uh, this is the place that automakers can talk about connected cars and other uh, advancements in that field. So expect a lot of news next week. Yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about. Some of it will be good and some of it will be ridiculous because that's how auto shows are. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe providing some clips from the show. Yeah, we might what be able to do that. We might be able to do that depending on how many of our colleagues we can corral when we're out there. Oh, that'd be fun too. We can take other people's uh, – because I've, I've also gotten a lot of comments. People want to hear their voice on our podcast as well. So why not uh, let other people describe what they're seeing at the show? <laughs> well, all right. I think that wraps us up for this week. And uh, like Sammy said, we're going to have a lot to talk about next week after the show. And uh, we're kind of gearing gearing down um, after the LA show and before the Detroit show. Things get a little quiet. I know there's some things that are going to be happening, but it's mostly year-end year wrap-up stuff for car companies. So we'll have a lot to talk about uh, ourselves just in terms of how the year went and um, what we're driving at home. And uh, we look forward to you having a listen to us next week. And commenting and sending us any notes. So uh, if, you, if you feel a little bit social... Um, don't hesitate to send us a tweet. I mean, you can find me. I'm at Sammy Ha. That's S A M I underscore H A. And Ben is at Hunting Benjamin, right? Yes. And you can also get me Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com on the email because I'm still one of those guys who uses email. Uh, I don't like giving out my email address because, just quite frankly, I have a lot of letters in it. It would take forever for me to. To spell it out for some people. Sammy's an MD, a DSC, a PhD. It's, it's all in his email address. <laughs> yeah, so just send me a tweet and uh, maybe we can take it from there. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Goodbye.